This is episode 21 of Spokes with director Zach Dalton. Here we go. You're listening to the Red Bicycle Media Spokes podcast, a show about the experiences of a film production house and the people they work with in the film industry with your host, James Pizarro. Hey guys, welcome back to another great episode of Spokes. This is producer Christian coming at you with another awesome director as part of Director's Month. And we're going to talk about working with kids today. They say there's two types of talent you don't ever want to work with, which is kids and animals. Uh, so if you've worked with animals before, we'd love to interview you. But today we are going to talk about working with kids. You may have seen some of our guests worked before, whether it's a digital ad or a short film you may have seen uh, but he's worked with a lot of people and a lot of companies ranging from sci-fi he's done an ad with lego adidas most recently ivory uh, when he's not working with kids he's on the road and when it's not COVID, of course uh, he's filming country music superstar luke bryan on his tours which sounds like a lot of fun Big Luke Bryan fan here. So uh, he's won awards and made film festivals for his directing and storytelling, including his most acclaimed, I would think his most critically acclaimed uh, short film, Mayfield, which has made many film festivals, won many awards. That's something to check out. We posted it on the episode links. So check it out right after this podcast. He's also worked on a couple of projects with us, uh, including the 2018 Cleveland 48 hour film project entry. The Hatch, which he won Best Director. Of course, we got second place there. Uh, he also directed Lost in Static with us as part of the Collective Film Project, which is on, which I will say it is on hiatus so far with everything going on. But we hope to get back as soon as everything pretty much uh, comes goes back to normal, per se. Uh, and that won the 2019 iFootage Creative Video Competition. And he won the Best Drama category in the 2019 My Road Reel for looking back so today he talks about his processes from getting the gig being on set with the um with the talent especially the young talent working with them establishing that relationship making them as much part of the process as the producer and um since he wanted me to say some nice stuff in the beginning i guess i'll say he's a nice guy he's a good guy and you know Good director, I guess. <laughs> no, but seriously, no. In all, all seriousness, he he's very talented, and uh, we really enjoy working with him. And hopefully, you enjoy this podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is Zach Dalton. All right, so i like to welcome Zach Dalton to the show today. Uh, Zach and I have been uh, on a couple projects. I've been fortunate enough to work on his set, and he's just generally great to work with. So, Zach, how are you doing today? Great, James, and thank you so much to either you or Christian for all the very nice things that you said about me during the intro of the podcast. I am a listener, so I do know that you guys do an intro, so now you have to say nice things about me. Of course, of course. And, and you know, those are totally just off the cuff and just spontaneously said. Um, so do you want to tell me a little bit about your background and how, how you came to this point? And uh, obviously, I want to dive right into... You're, you're uh, kind of one of your specialties. You have a lot of them, but um, tell me about that. Well, I'm a film and commercial director. Um, you know, most people don't make money on short films. I guess, you know, at times I can be one of those people, but I've actually 
managed to find a way to make money from doing short films, whether it be through prize packages or competitions or something or another. And, and a lot of times it's through proof of concept or uh, example work to show agencies or production companies. So usually it leads to uh, a lot of commercial work or some commercial work that leads to more commercial work. And um, the uh, kind of box that I've been put into lately is I'm the guy that can work with children. I'm, you know, because most people, you know, what they always say, you never work with uh, animals or children. And I'm always like, well, I love working with kids on set. Uh, I love kind of like their energy and how spontaneous they are. And more importantly, I love how short the days are because they can only be on set for six hours. But no, as, as much as I joke around about that, you know, it's a lot of the crew and everybody else burns out around six hours or, you know, 10, whatever, whatever the day is. Um, so it's nice kind of having those limits with kids. And I've been doing it enough to where, you know, that's what people hire me for right now at this point in my career is, oh, that's the guy that can work with kids and get some good performances out of kids. Well, how were you able to get that out there as as a skill set and um, actually uh, uh, be known for that particular um, area of uh, expertise? I think I accidentally just kind of fell into it. So I would uh, have, you know, like most people, I did some commercials or short films that had kids in them. Um, and then it started happening more frequently because I had examples of that work to show people. And it wasn't until maybe a year and a half ago where um, the production company that kind of represents a lot of my work down in Nashville, they said, hey, uh, we kind of want to market you this way. You know, we, we see that you have a lot of videos with kids that have good performances with those kids and, and you know how to work with them and deal with them. Uh, we want to just market you out to our clients that way instead of how I was originally marketing myself as a director was, you know, I could, and I still do this, but I can get emotion out to audiences. I can engage audiences emotionally through film or a commercial. And it's usually something that's, you know, sweet or nice or warm and fuzzy feeling. Any of that stuff that you watch it and you're like, you know, that kind of speaks to your heart is the stuff that I love to do. And what we've done is just kind of hone that in even further. You know, uh, you know, one of my, one of my friends always told me that, you know, the riches are in the niches. So as farther down you can niche into something, uh, the, the easier it is to kind of find work because it's like, oh, that's the guy that does sentimental video with kids and can get good performances out of them. We don't even want to risk hiring somebody else that doesn't have that stuff in their portfolio because a bad experience with a kid on set can destroy your entire day. And it can, t it, not to mention what it could do to your brand as well. Mm -hmm. do you, do you, now, I, I'm curious, did that come about uh, pre, during, or post having uh, three boys of your own? I mean, was that just a work in progress and you just said, <laughs> man, I'm, I'm just getting better at this the more I father? Well, I think having kids has definitely helped. But I was also heading this way before having uh, 
you know, I have a four-year-old who's almost five and a three-year-old, both boys, both crazy. So now I'm more in touch with like, oh, I can start talking about Paw Patrol or PJ Masks or Ryan's World or any of the YouTube, you know, depending on their age range. It's like I can connect to them in that way, whereas before I was just being silly or goofy or asking them what they liked and they would tell me and I would have no idea what it is. But I was kind of heading this way before having kids. And it was because just having a project, I think in... 2010 uh man 10 years ago 10 years ago for bounty paper towels which was like a spec ad that i did through this site that no longer exists where you would submit work and if they liked it they bought it well it had a kit in it bounty ended up buying it they put it on tv for a little bit and it was a really cool experience for me but you know it's one of those things where it's like okay cool so I, i you know i did this thing it had a kit in it it turned out pretty well um, was casting kids in other things in the future, uh, like some music stuff in Nashville and some commercial stuff and just kind of fell, just got comfortable with it enough to where I was like, oh, if I have an idea that involves a kid, I'm not going to shy away from it because I know how to work with them now. But since having kids, it's completely changed everything and it's kind of really taken off in in terms of what I can do, how I can connect with them, understanding child psychology a little bit better and all those sorts of things. And probably the more you do, the obviously the better you get with, with something like that. So take me through the process. Uh, an agency reaches out and says, hey, uh, we, we think we have this this project that we'd like you to look at. And obviously you look, you know, you do your due diligence, but kind of take me through that whole process. If an agency or production company comes to me and they're like, hey, we have this project and it centers around or our main character is a child, which is a different than which is a different approach than there are kids in this and our main protagonist is a child. So he's in every single he or she uh, is in every single scene we need some emotion from them. They might have to say lines on camera, which is a hard thing to deal with. So I kind of figure out it's like how much is involved? How important is this kid to this story? Um, to make things easier, I'll go ahead and refer to an ad that I did uh, for Ivory Deodorant. So it has uh, a little boy in that ad. The agency who hired me to do it saw that I had a short film called Looking Back that, you know, had a had a um, little girl in it and uh, it was kind of the same tone and it was like that sweet kind of rich vibe and they really liked that and they said, okay, so you can work with kids, so let's get started. So what I did was, uh, what I like to do is determine how much work this kid is going to have to do and then it starts with the the casting process so most people think that you can cast through pictures or videos and then you just show up on the day and a kid is an actor like the rest of the actors and they'll just jump right into it and you can pull them in when you need them or not and it's so much different i think if you do it right you really have to establish that connection and that trust with a child actor because i genuinely don't know if there are many child actors 
they you know they're not really acting you're trying to create situations where they can be themselves in an honest way that matches what the script has for them because they don't really understand acting in that same way they but you can talk to them in a way it's that you're trying to get the same emotions so the casting process is probably the most important thing in in the whole you know trying to work with kids because if you do not get the right kid it is just going to fall apart everything is going to fall apart um so during the so here's how i like to cast i like to put out a casting call and sometimes we'll do casting sessions or multiple casting sessions in terms of the ivory commercial we did two different casting sessions and then i had a skype call casting session uh, with Jeremiah, the little boy that ended up being in it, because talent can look great in photos. They can be great on camera when their mom is recording them, and you don't know if that's the tenth time or the first time, you know, or how long that they've been doing that. So you really have to try to talk to them either through Skype or in a casting session to see can can they take simple direction? Do they understand? what is happening here you know do they, they we're playing pretend do they understand that um all those sorts of things and and you do it enough to where you'll have a kid in a session and you can just know be like okay i'm very confident he can do what we want him to do with the help of his parents and gaining his trust up until the shoe all that sort of stuff so along with that we also, like for, for that shoot specifically, I'll try to meet up with or have Skype calls with them leading up to the shoot because you want a child actor to be as comfortable with you as possible because when they show up to set and there's 20 or 30 or 40 people walking around and it's one child or however many and in a room full of adults, they just immediately get nervous. They immediately kind of close up. And if you can be that point of that, that comfortability place for them, then it can change the tone of the whole day. It's like they'll, they'll immediately be drawn to you because they're like, oh, I know this guy. I've had dinner with this guy. I've talked to this guy on the phone and, you know, I can trust that he, you know, he will protect me in this scenario. It's interesting because of uh, what you don't really want is a child actor because now they're acting. You want a child to be natural. Um, That's right. Which is, you know, kind of counter to what we want actors to do to, to almost be acting. So I think that's a challenge. So in this day, and I know, I don't know if you had an open casting call or was this done virtually. Uh, what did you end up doing? So for Jeremiah, after we went through two in-person casting sessions and still didn't really find what we want and it's also important to consider how big is your project do you have the time and the luxury to put this much energy into it and what you need to also think about is when you take on a project like this factor in that time you know because if i'm taking on a project assuming that i'm only going to work the day of or whatever and not factoring in the casting sessions and the time that you're trying to connect with them and get them ready for the shoot, then, you know, that's kind of my fault. So now that I've been doing this enough, I know that 
we can we can do all these different things. And so what we did with him is we had a Skype call with him. I had his mom run through the scenes with him through the Skype call, and I think his dad was holding the phone. And I just kind of – I could tell immediately that, you know, he could follow directions. He wasn't very nervous. He wasn't – you know, he could just he, – he was confident, and he found uh, a lot of – comfort in his mom who also ended up playing the mom in the ivory commercial so for that commercial specifically we were casting a mom and child together you know real mom real child just so we had that real genuine connection as well as having someone on set who could guide us through like you know he's getting nervous or this or that or knew how to comfort him in a way that you know maybe a stranger didn't know how to so after we did that skype call we offered them the part we met the night before the shoot to get pizza so it was uh, me and uh, my producer chase who was on last week and um his whole family basically and we just hung out and ate pizza and he and I created a secret handshake together and we kind of formed this bond that when he came on set he knew where to look and where he was going to be safe and you know who was going to take care of him through this whole process and and I think that was really important in getting those performances. That small little investment uh, seemed to really paid off which um, I don't think you think about and, and not to mention, there's that whole other dynamic of working with a not mom to pretend that they yeah. are the mom. And, you know, kids at baseline aren't comfortable, you know, be, you're, they're told not to be intimate or, as you know, uh, close or hugging strangers without developing a rapport. So how do you manage that? Uh, that, that is that like especially for actors they've never met who are coming on set that day? Well, and I think you and I went through this. Uh, you were... You DP'd one of my shoots like two weeks ago, and we had, you know, there there was a child on set where there was a woman who was pretending to be his mom. Um, I think during the casting of that, I cast that kid specifically because I knew that. I was like, well, I think he would be comfortable being around someone who's not really his mom because he just had one of those personalities that – you know, he wanted to be, he wanted to talk to everybody. He wanted to be everybody's friend. And because of that, I felt really comfortable casting him. So it was funny that halfway through the day when we were shooting a scene and uh, I referred to uh, the actress who was playing his mom as his mom, he just stops in the middle of the scene and he goes, that's not my mom. And, you know, and then, you know, we thought it was all funny and, and we all laughed and it was like, He's like, yeah, no, 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 it's your pretend mom. He goes, oh, my pretend mom. And then he just is quiet for a second. And he goes, my real mom gives me whoopings. <laughs> and, then, and, you know, then we all lost it. But uh, kids, kids kind of, ha they have that energy where they just say, like, the funniest things. And you're creating those situations where they can be themselves in this closed environment so the fact that i referred to this woman as his mom and it wasn't his mom you know it was kind of crazy to him but she'd been his mom all day and she'd been you know hugging him and all that other stuff the day's long um for for most of, i mean we, we get restless toward the end of the day and like you said they only have a six-hour window so what's your strategy 
in, in bringing a child out in a commercial? I mean, obviously a lot of these are shot out of sequence, but what do you, what do you, what's in your mind? And are, do you obviously consider all that, how long they're gonna be on set? What time of the day, for goodness sake, they're coming on? So how does that, how does that all play into it? Well, well it's, it's basically, basically a sprint. sprint. You, you hit, hit the, the ground, ground running, running because, because if, it's if it's a SAG, SAG shoot, shoot or, or you know, you know, like, like a SAG, SAG commercial shoot, shoot you have, you have six, six hours on set with, with a kid. A kid. Um, um, if you, if have, you a have a baby on set, set it's four hours, hours so, so it's even, even less. less. So, so on, on the ivory deodorant commercial shoot that we did, we had a baby and, and a, toddler. a toddler. So, so it, was it was like, you know, you know we, had we had a lot to juggle, juggle in one day. day. And the, the most important thing, thing that you can do outside of preparing the kid for what they're going to do that day and rehearsing and kind of, I mean, I mean, getting, getting everyone, everyone prepared, prepared to know, to know it's like, like here's, here's where we need to be, here's where we need to be, when we need to be here, and just sprint through, through the day. Outside of that um, is getting on the same page with the client, agency, or production company who's hired you. Meaning that they all have to know, it's like, hey, we're working with the kid, that's why you hired me, um, to basically wrangle this kid all day. But you have to understand he is still, he or she, uh, I keep referring to that ivory commercial specifically or the other ones, but it's like you have to understand that they're children. They they will burn out after six hours. It's like, yes, we have them on set for six hours. They might not even make it that long. How do we make this day as short and effective as possible for them? And what that means is like they have to trust you. You know, you, they have to trust that you're going to take this vision, you're going to run with it, and if they have input or anything that they want to do to kind of slow down or, or stop the day or potentially uh, push back the schedule, they have to know that they're sacrificing things later because we only have so long with a, with a kid on set and that they're running the risk of burning this kid out. So if, if their input is not crucial to what we want to do and it's not crucial to... Uh, their product or any of that. And sometimes their input is, it is very easy. They'll stop down and be like, Hey, we need to get a shot of this. It's very important that we get this shot. Cause it has to be in there. It's like, great, let's do it. But you know, some of the nitpicky stuff that slows down a day, um, you know, you, you run the risk of burning a kid out. So you kind of have to get on that same page with the agency client or production company. That's like, they have to just trust you and let you go and let you do your thing. I think the, the challenges though for you is um, you're always prioritizing what needs to be done. And you have to pick your battles because um, A, if it's so important to them, well, what is the most important to you? Because as you say, how many, how many times can you make a child do a take? Uh, I'm, you know, yeah. it's not the same. Most adults can suck it up. Even then you could see the, the performance diminish. Is there, is there kind of a clock in your head or you're just kind of a feeling how, feeling out how the child responds to how many takes you can get out of a, a child? You know, it all depends on when you get, it, it, it takes a while to get a take. You don't, you never get on the first time. You probably won't get it on the third time, maybe not the fourth time, because what you're doing with them is basically live rehearsing where it's like, you come here, you do this, we're gonna do this. And it's so important to let them know ahead of time that you're going to be doing that. Because if you don't do that, what happens is imagine 
you're a kid on set, five years old. Let's just say you're five years old. You show up and there's a grown-ups everywhere. When you're five years old, you don't realize that adults can make mistakes because adults always have the answers. They always know what's best. They're always looking out for you, feeding you, whatever. So they have no idea that adults can make mistakes. So when they're in a commercial and you're on take five, what they think is we're having to do this again and again and again because I keep messing up. These are adults and they have all this stuff. They're not messing up. So it's so important to tell them ahead of time, like, hey, just so you know, we're going to do this five or six or maybe even seven times in a row. That's how much we're going to do this. And you have to let them know it's not their fault, has nothing to do with them. They're doing a great job. You have to constantly give them positive reinforcement because if you don't, that's when you'll start seeing a kid close up throughout the day because they start feeling like they're messing up, they're not good enough, it's too much work. When they think they're only going to be doing something once and you ask them to do it four times, then they start getting drained and they start saying, why am I doing this so many times? So just to avoid those conversations, just tell them up front, say, hey, we're going to do this four or five times and we're going to do it different each time. And, you know, if, if I tell you to do something different, it's just because we don't know what we want yet. So if you can tell them that and you can free up the anxiety of doing something wrong, if you can just take that off of them, then you can just get these real genuine performances out of them. And in the back of their head, they're not thinking about what they're doing wrong. And if they are doing something wrong, you have to find a positive way to get to what you want. Ask them to do something different. Say, hmm, maybe we should try doing it like this. What do you think? You know, and kind of opening that door up for them to take part in the uh, note that you're trying to give them. So they also, so, that, so they're feeling like they're, they're okay with doing another take because they're a part of the change. Um, and sometimes I'll just blame a DP. I'll just say, oh, we messed up. This guy was out of focus. We didn't get it. Can you do it again? You know, and if you say things like that to them, if you push the blame onto somebody else and, you know, the DPs I work with and, and other crew kind of know that that's a trick of mine to just to the child blame somebody else and just be like, oh, this guy messed it up. Can you do it again? So that way you can keep getting takes out of them and they don't feel like it's their fault. It really probably is our fault anyway. So that, you know, I, I think- Usually is. We're probably more sensitive than they are about that. But I did notice that you're playing with that and they were having fun thinking five more and there was a negotiation there and they felt that, mm -hmm. hey, now I'm part of this and not being just dictated. And because it's a drudgery, oh, another time. If you tell them five, it's like any other predictable end. They feel like they can contribute and say, all right, yeah, I got three more in me. All right. Now we're down to two, right? What, and, and I noticed that you were playing with that, and I think that that did make that a lot of fun. Um, and you know, so the, I, I, is there a strategy sometimes that you'll say, uh, and we do this a lot where we think we can get the best performance if we don't yell cut or action, we just have uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the director and DP have kind of a hand signal or an eye signal, like just roll and, and, and let it go. Do you ever do that sometimes? Yeah, you know, a lot of times I'll have with kids, you just most of the time you just let it roll because you don't they if when they're ready to go and if they're ready and they're ready to do it, 
they do not need to be waiting on us. That is the very last thing that they need to be doing because they're going to lose whatever energy they had to get that going. So if the kid needs to be sweet to his baby sister, most of the time you're sneaking those shots because they don't know you're filming or you pretend like you're not ready and they can genuinely, you know, uh, play with a baby or whatever it is. Um, but if they're acting crazy and you know, they have a spurt of energy, just go ahead and roll it because you don't know when that energy is going to go away. They're going to be like, I'm done now. Um, so another way that, that I like to kind of reward them throughout the day and to keep these performances going is kind of figure out things that they like and have a gift ready for them at the end of the day that you can also use as bribery halfway through the day. So um, on the ivory shoot that, that I keep mentioning, uh, uh, the, the kid was really into PJ Masks at the time, which is a child superhero cartoon for those who don't know. And so we had someone run to the store and go buy him a toy. And so throughout the day, we'd show him the toy and it was kind of like, like, hey, just so you know, you can have this at the end of the day if you do a really good job. And sometimes, you know, we wanted him, there's this one scene specifically where I wanted him to jump up out of this chair really quick and go run after something. And he never really got to it very quickly. So what I did was I set that toy about five feet from me, five feet from him. I was, and I said, when I say go, if I get to this toy before you, I'm going to keep it and you can't have it anymore. So all of a sudden his acting turned into a real life situation and like the how fast he ran out of that chair was just significantly different, like bolted out of it to get to it. But it's all about creating those scenarios for them to where we saw that acting wasn't working with him. It just was not working. We were asking him to do something and to pretend and it got too far into the pretend world to where we had to create a scenario where he would do it naturally and do it the best way that he could. So having toys and gifts and other things like that are a great way to say, hey, if you can make it through the day, here's your, just keep your eyes on the prize and, and it kind of keeps them going through the day. Um, another one with, uh, the, the young man in the Ivory commercial and some other stuff that we shot recently. Uh, he, he loves gummies, so I always have a pack of gummies on me. And it, sometimes it'll get to the end of a shoot. He's kind of like a, a dog waiting for a treat where it's like at the as soon as I yell cut, he'll say gummies, you know, like that. And so, you know, that, that kind of uh, positive reinforcement works for him um, and and it works for me too. So as long as his parents are okay with me giving him gummies throughout the day, then everything's fine. So you always want to ask those questions with the parents first. Like, can they have these things? Is it okay if I give them this? What kind of things do they like? Can we get them a toy? All that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, the last shoot that we did, we did have multiple kids, and uh, fortunately the location that we had had like a game room. And even if they didn't, having an area specific to kids where they can play and have fun. So, you know, the first thing is having things for them to play with, 
and a space that's kind of their own to be in is so helpful because they get a decompress, they get a relax, they get breaks, all that sort of stuff. And honestly, if there's other kids on set, you it you don't have to convince kids to play with each other. You just stick them in the same room and they just start playing with each other. And that kind of um, gives them that break that they need throughout the day to just keep going and, and be refreshed and keep energy up and all that sort of stuff. But if there's multiple kids in a scene, it can get tricky because, you know, they like to play and talk and do their own thing. So you got to create one of those scenarios or, or turn it into a game where it's like, you know, on the short film that we did uh, looking back last year, we wanted this little girl and this kid to argue. So what happened was we had a toy that he was playing with and that she wanted to play with. And I told her, I was like, yeah, go go grab that toy and go play with it. And I told the, the little boy in the scene, I said, do not let her have that toy. That's your toy. I want you to keep it from her as long as possible. So, you know, both of their parents knew what we were doing and knew that that's what I was saying to them. And the situation happened where she wanted this toy and he wouldn't give it to her. And, you know, she started crying, which was really good for the film, but, you know, kind of hurt me a little bit. I was like, I was like, well, I didn't want her to cry, but it's working. And, um, and it was fine because her dad was the producer on the film. And, and it was one of those situations where, we just created a scenario where this might happen and we have to be okay with what happens. It's like, we don't know what's gonna happen and you can't ask a kid to cry. You just can't, it's not gonna happen. But if you create this scenario, let's see what happens. And that's what happened then. Well, being the head plate spinner on, on a set, right? You've, you've got to deal not only with um, the, the children and, and, and and crew possibly, and that should hopefully be the, the least of your worries. But obviously when clients are on the set and now, you know, there's a lot at stake, time is running down and you have a difficult child. <laughs> you're, you're, you know you're on your last day and there's no chance for pickups. Uh, first of all, do you prepare the client to say, hey, uh, there's a lot we're trying to cover and that's why I want multiple days perhaps, or how do you, how do you navigate that? Um, yeah, it's that real, you have that real discussion with them ahead of time where you just say, if you've never been on set with a kid, here's what it looks like. Here's how they act. Here's what we can do. Here's what you want to do. That's probably not going to happen. Uh, if it does great, here's some things that we can try to make it happen, but just be aware that it's probably not going to. And you know, uh, you have a lot of conversations like that where you're just trying to be as real and honest with the client and just setting and managing expectations the whole way through. Now, in terms of dealing with a difficult child, um, I've done that plenty of times in the past. Uh, now my approach is to weed out the difficult children in the casting process. And then, you know, so through the casting process, we can find, you know, I can see as like, this kid's gonna be difficult or they're not based on their personality. And even if a good, let's just call them a good kid, turns difficult on set, what that usually means is that something is wrong. It's not because they're difficult, it's because either they're overwhelmed, they're anxious, something hurt their feelings, um, they're tired, they're hungry, all those sort of things. So. 
when, and much like you know your own kids, when when they're being difficult or moody or yelling or whatever it is, figuring out what the real problem is really kind of helps. And usually we just give them a break whenever I can kind of feel like okay we're losing this kid he needs a break. Let's just go give him a break. He's gonna go recharge his batteries. He's gonna go you know, play basketball or with these toys or whatever it is, and we'll bring him back in 20 minutes after he's had some snacks, some juice, all that sort of stuff. So letting the client or agency or production company kind of know those things in advance is uh, really helpful because they know what to expect on set. And usually they kind of give you the trust to say like, look, I know we only have six hours with them. I'm just going to let you do your thing and I'm only going to jump in if it's absolutely necessary. How do you think that's going to translate then to, um, you know, most of the, uh, the kids you've worked with, uh, I've seen have been maybe under 10 and because, you know, you've worked from anything from very young Todd's to all the way up to, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess teenagers. Do you, it's also another thing working with teenagers to keep them their innocence or their not innocence and in being typical teenagers. How, have you ever had to navigate that? Um, a little bit, but you know, it's so much easier because they have a, an understanding of what they're doing. They typically watch things that they like, you know, that, that they understand what film is. They understand what commercials are. They want to be like the things that they watch, whether it's like, you know, say it's stranger things and they love stranger things. And it's like, okay, well, this is kind of what they do on the set of that show. They pretend to be something else. So they have such a greater understanding that there's they're not as hard to work with but you still have to keep in mind the fact that maybe they don't realize adults can make mistakes the way that we do and and really kind of almost with any actor just giving them constant positive reinforcement because if you think about actors an entire room of people is watching them do something that's probably uncomfortable for them you know because everyone's eyes are looking straight at them and, you know, they're looking into a microwave and pretending something's in there or whatever. And it just, it always feels silly. Acting always feels silly to me anyway. And so knowing that and kind of having those conversations and letting them know, it's like, that was great. You're doing great. I want to do six more, you know, like just setting, you know, I always kind of set it up high because I'm like, I'm going to ask you to do a bunch and I don't want you to feel like, you're doing poorly because I keep asking. I'm just going to tell you up front, there's probably going to be six. We're probably going to do it six times and then we'll land on what we want or we'll hit what I like to call what I like to call the point of diminishing returns where you do a scene so many times that there is no way that it can be really different and it's actually getting worse each time and you're destroying the rest of your day. So Honestly, typically around, depending on how long the line is or how long the take is, if you're doing more than eight, something's wrong or something's not working. Um, but it also depends on, you know, what's moving in the background. Do things have to line up? Choreography, all that sort of stuff. But just like a regular situation, you really shouldn't have to do it like more than three or four times. You know, come to think of it, I don't think I've seen Fincher work with kids much. Yeah. To that, yeah. To that end. So, you know, to, to kind of segue into, uh, I know you enjoy commercial work and you've done um, uh, narrative work as well. Uh, a lot of us kind of teeter back and forth and everybody thinks that uh, it's uh, the ultimate goal to do just 
uh, narrative work. But where are you sitting with that right now? Well, I love commercials because they're like little short films that you get to do. And, you know, that's kind of the type of commercials that I get hired to do. It's like, oh, we want to tell a story. We want to say something and we want it to be roughly a minute long. Um, So I love doing them. I I think the end goal for me, like most filmmakers, is to do feature films, um, you know, that show in theaters and, and a bunch of people see them, big budgets. But I also want to make commercials in between doing those films because commercials allow you to work with new people. It, it allows you to work with new talent. It allows you to try new things that you can't necessarily try when you've locked down like a narrative or a feature script. You don't, you know, because it's such a gamble on those things to where it's, you know, commercials a day long. You can kind of try those things out and experiment with some stuff that is harder to do in narrative films. So do you have anything on the launch pad right now? Right now, there's commercials have been crazy this year. There's been there's been a bunch of commercial work and a bunch of client work this year. I've been really fortunate to have a good 2020 when I know that's not the case for a lot of people out there. Um, I, I just got really lucky in terms of that. Um, so a lot of these short films, uh, ideas that I have and scripts that I have are kind of waiting for this season to slow down a little bit because it's just been so swamped with all this client work. And once it does, and we have some stuff that I think we're kind of roughly planning f- to shoot a couple months from now, um, a short film that's going to be a proof of concept for a feature film, uh, which I think, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say that actually all the time. Um, and I've never been one of those people. I've always been like, I like to make short films because they're short and, you know, it's as long as it needs to be. You know, if it could be a feature film, then just make it a feature film. But, you know, the idea is to try to get some people excited about this idea um, in this approach and in this genre that I want to work in to, to hopefully get a feature film off the ground. I think spec work has been, you know, that's something you've used to your your advantage. And um, I think a lot of us uh, like doing it. First of all, it's a rep. And anytime you could have a crew who's willing to put in some time a weekend or so to, to create something cool, um, that's always a, a great thing. And, and it's always nice to bring the people that were there into uh, real work, if you can call it that, or, or, the, or the real project, because after all, they... You know they were there uh, to at least be involved with that, and so I, I think I think that certainly has served you well. Do you think that um, you're going to be creating like that being a spec project? Do you think there's anything else you want to uh, you're looking into, or po- perhaps another genre, or to grow into a uh, to something else? Um, is there? I guess what I'm asking is, are you more interested in something fantasy or science fiction or or real world, or, or, or is it kind of the sky the limit? Well, I mean, I just, I love film. I love all types of stuff. Most of what I do is, in the terms of short film, feels dramatic. But then it's usually kind of surrounded by a little sci-fi element or a little, I would say, like horror or thriller element. I think it would be interesting and fun for my next short film to jump straight into like, 
full horror, you know, no sweetness into it. Because everything I do is so sweet. You know, it kind of has that element of like, oh, it's sweet. Oh, there's this loving nature to it to where I just kind of want to do something that's tonally a little different. But at the same time, still keeping it grounded in uh, real emotion, real connection to the audience in that way, um, but not be as sweet. So there might be some blood. Who knows? Blood and gore. That's, uh, that, yeah. that, that, that certainly does uh, still sell. In summary, I, especially for a first-timer, new, new director who has never worked with children, um, are there any kind of ideas that you'd, you'd want to um, uh, kind of reinforce? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to simplify it is find the right kid. Do your time in the casting sessions and looking for the right kid to uh, make it work. And then the next thing you need to do is once you find a kid that you think has that talent or has that skill is create a relationship with them. Make them comfortable with you. Find out things that they like. You know, try to connect with them in some way. Um, And then take them to the location early if you can or before it's filled with crew and if you can't try to meet up with them have a meal with them you know those things go such a long way if you don't have the luxury or the time to do those things maybe you shouldn't work with a kid on a project then because i i kind of feel like they're crucial uh to get it but if you're thrown into a situation where you're meeting a kid the day of be con- just be constantly empathetic to how they're feeling because if you can keep their spirits high and you can keep them comfortable and happy then you'll probably have a good day but the last thing that you want to do is upset a kid and avoid when you say things to them or you get in a situation where you feel like oh I think that upset them or I think you know that they're uncomfortable with that avoid those situations steer away completely Sometimes if, if something like that accidentally happens where a kid gets embarrassed on set or something, sometimes I'll just take him out of the, the room like immediately and be like, hey, can we get mom in here and, you know, let's go in the other room and let's have a snack really quick. Remove them from negativity as fast as possible because once you lose a kid on set, like their attitude, they're gone. Your day's gone. And then you don't have anything to show for it. And with so much at stake, uh, obviously – Client's not happy, nobody's happy, and you kind of leave with a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, especially if it happens early in the day and you got half your day left and half the shots to make, it's it's almost impossible to make that up. So, I mean, that does sound good. And I think it's uh, managing your own expectations. Anytime you're getting ready to work with a kid, what do you expect out of a child actor? You know, you have to manage those expectations. Because if you have this grandiose thing and, you know, if you have the script to E.T. and you've not done all the work that Spielberg put into it and you expect that out of the kid, that's your own fault. Like there's nobody to blame but you. It is so easy to blame a kid for ruining a day when really you should probably take responsibility and say, I didn't do the work I needed to do to make today successful because I treated it like a normal shoot. And it's not normal because I'm asking a child to do an adult's job. Grandiose was the word I was going to use because everybody has these ideas, especially when they go in the shoots. And, and if they haven't done it at all, 
Um, I, I think what I'm hearing is the pre-production, the dinner, the pizza, just spending time with the child seems to pay off, so. Yeah, and creating scenarios where they can be themselves that also align with what's in the script. I would agree. Well, uh, Zach, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate your time. And, and uh, you know, obviously this is to be continued. I'd love to have you back on uh, about all the other millions of topics we want to talk about. But I, I think to, to see a working director, especially specializing in one area, um, has been really insightful. So I appreciate your time. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I love the show. I listen to it. I love hanging out with you guys. Um, if anybody wants to see any of the work that I've talked about, you can find it on my website at zachdalton.com, Z-A-C-H-D-A-U-L-T-O-N.com, or just follow me on you know social media or any of that stuff, and I'm always posting about it. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Well, we'll see you soon. All right. See ya. And there you have it. That was this week's episode with Zach Dalton. Uh, we'd like to thank Zach for joining us and talking about this really interesting subject. I've been on set with him a few times with kids, and it is very challenging. You have to have the right voice, have the right mindset, and um, I think he did, does a great job with that especially with the gummies and uh, talk about kids say the darnest things um, with that line uh, in the middle of the podcast. But uh, yes, that did actually happen. The kid did say that's not my mom. Uh, so that's it for the show today. Make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Rate us, leave a review. Uh, check us out at redbicyclemedia.com. We're also on social media at redbicyclemedia. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.